Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Clown Blue Podcast. I'm Matt Kendrick and this week we're joined by Alex Butler, Big Al. Um, thanks first of all. Um, we'll give you a little bit of context about, about Big Al. So Al was, I'll check this off, off camera, it's a, a masseur, not a masseuse. So I've learned something today. A masseuse, is, a masseuse is the female <laughs> version. I'm not sure how many people, well, I think people will know you because you're, there's quite yeah. a presence about you. But you're at Villa from 2007 to 2020. Yeah. What we're going to do today is take you on a bit of a trip down down memory lane, how sure. you got into the profession, your time at Villa, uh, a slight departure from that profession to, to tell us what you're doing now. Yeah. But first of all, I just wanted to thank you for letting us, you know, in, inviting us into your into your man cave. So no, it's, uh, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I thought, you know, we can have a little beer afterwards maybe. But yeah, it's a um, <laughs> kind of lockdown project. A friend of mine who started his own carpenter business said, uh, you know, was looking for things to do. And I thought, well... I've always wanted a pub, so let's just get it done. Oh, it's perfect. It's very yeah. welcoming. We've got one of your bulldogs. One of my dogs uh, is here, yeah, so gonna... she'll probably chirp in with some opinions in a minute. She'll probably stroll around. Is she a Villa fan? I know you're an Albion fan, but we'll, we'll try and gloss over that. Is she a Villa or... I'm not too sure what she is. She's from Poland originally, so she's oh, probably Matt, got a Matty bit Cash of... fan then, there we yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, mate. So we're going to start, I'm going to try and take this chronologically. By the yep. time Dan edits it, who knows which order it'll be in. But <laughs> why was that your original choice of profession? How did it come oh, about? Oh, it, 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 was, it was weird, really. I had um, I'd done a year of A-levels and it wasn't for me. And then I did a year at North Birmingham College, as it was then, doing something completely different. And then that course wasn't for me. And then I, I just ran into a friend. Uh, I was walking up to the, the Towers pub on the Warsaw Road. Um, I was walking to my shift and I ran into him and I said, oh, what are you up to now? And he says, I'm, I'm going to do this sports massage course at, at North Birmingham. It was one of those courses because it's just so hands-on, obviously, yeah. and so physical. I, I That's the, how I learn. I learn by doing yeah. rather than sitting there being preached yeah. at. And um, I just got into it and that was it. I thought, right, this is this is me. I don't know. I never knew where it'd end up, but I was I was enjoying doing it at the time, and it it, it just kind of escalated from there. And had you always been a kind of football and sports fan? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I was I was never this athlete that you see before you today. I was <laughs> you and me both. I, I actually used to run around a bit, and I, I played kind of semi-pro younger. Uh, as when I was younger and um, because I knew that I was never going to be good yeah. enough to carry that on I yeah. kind of always wanted to be in within the sport still yeah. I always wanted to find a way to be part of yeah football um, I didn't fancy the four or five years to learn being a physio <laughs> yeah. and I thought well maybe being a sports master is is the way forward because at the time it was 2001 I think was it was either 2000 or 2001 when I started that course and there wasn't really anyone around in football yeah. doing that. There was only maybe one or two, yeah. uh, especially full-time employed. You, you Players would have to either get the physio to give them a yeah. massage, which physios hate doing, <laughs> or they'd have to go and seek someone out privately. Yeah. So I, th I thought it was a good way to exploit yeah. the kind of little loophole there yeah. so no one could get in and having a bit of a football background anyway. I thought it would. I thought it would fit quite nicely. So, um, luckily, it worked out. So, I always uh, apologise to guests on this <laughs> on this podcast who have rich and varied kind of backstories. That we there's lots of stories I'm sure from you, from your time at Warsaw. Was it, well, you, just in, in a nutshell, yeah. Because we, we want to talk as much Villa as we can. Mm -hmm. Just give us. So you've you've done the qualification. Yep. Where was your first 
kind of opportunity and, and how did that lead you into becoming a yeah my first my first gig was a was at warsaw really i we i think i just qualified and i i put my i just blanket cv'd all the clubs really and see who would took a bite and warsaw said yeah look we could do with you but obviously we've got no money yeah. and i went don't care i'll work for free I'll do a bit. I'll do a couple of days here and there. Maybe a Monday after the weekend yeah. if you've got a midweek game, and that was a way of just getting networking. Really, it's yeah. just a way of getting to know people in the game and getting on with them. It gives you experience as well. So if if another club had a job coming up, you could say, "I've got experience. Yeah. I've worked at Warsaw." And then, luckily, the the physio at Warsaw at the time he ended up leaving to become the fitness coach at Wolves. Uh, I kept in touch with him. Um, I got in touch with him uh, just before their playoff final, uh, and I said, "Look, if there's if you need me leading up to the final, let me know." And he just went, "We don't want to bring any new faces in. We don't want to upset the apple cart. But look, there's a chance if we get promoted that there'll be something there." And then as soon as soon as they got promoted it was straight on the phone yeah. texting saying look brilliant well done congratulations let me know if you yeah. need me and then literally yeah about about two weeks before the lads were back at wolves for pre-season they um i got a text and a phone call and says come in come meet the gaffer come meet the physio and then we'll have a chat and go from there and then i was there for three years and it was it was bloody hard work because <laughs> there was only me and you're dealing with Really big names in the game yeah. at that time: Paul Ince, Dennis Irwin, Mark Kennedy, Paul Butler, um, Kenny Miller, Nathan Blake, people like that. And as well as doing the first team, I was doing the reserves yeah. as well. So I was doing four or five games a week. And but you're twenty, twenty-one years old, you don't care. And then Incy got the job at Macclesfield, so I went to MacTown with with Incy, and then he went to MK Dons, and then went to MK. And I was only at MK for a couple of months before the Villa yeah. job come up, and then. Um, Paul Lake, who was the physio at Macclesfield, uh, phoned me and said, I've just spoke to Alan Smith, the physio yeah. at Villa. They're looking for someone. Do you fancy it? And I went, yes. Because it, it's the Villa. It's massive. It's Premier League. Um, back in Birmingham. It's a no-brainer. We've got to go for it. And then same day, um, they called me in for an interview at Bodymore. I uh, spoke to Alan Smith. I met, uh, met the gaffer, uh, Martin, and uh, the doctor, Roddy. And then that was it, yeah, there and then. There you go, come and, come and start, we'll, we'll sort it out. And then I had to get into my MK Don's tracksuit and go down and do the Carlin Cup game against Sheffield United <laughs> that night. And so it was kind of, it was a bit of a surreal day, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's it in a, in a nutshell. So in football, we talk about central defensive partnerships and strike partnerships, yeah. but there was a, a blossoming kind of massa partnership there, yeah, with there was, yeah. you and Andy Smith. Sm <laughs> Smudger and Big Al became a, a fixture. So yeah. was he there when you got there? He, uh, we arrived at the same time, the same season, but he was there about three or four weeks before me. Um, there was a bit of a delay in me getting there due to just typical football politics, really. Yeah. Me wanting to leave another club and yeah. having to do you know the kind of notice period uh before joining villa and then yeah we got there and and um we we're of a similar age i think he's only a year above me um he obviously i had a couple of years experience at clubs that he was just coming into it yeah and so we had that kind of relationship where we would bounce off each other all the time uh i didn't need to 
tell him much anyway about my experiences because he used to play football himself yeah. so he knew how to be around a football club and um if he ever needed to know anything uh, on a massage side of it he'd just ask a question but he was he was always willing to learn anyway and his his dad uh being a physio as well and his brother being a physio in football he knew that kind of medical yeah. background as well so we we were we were made for each other really for one of a a better expression so much so a lot of lads would i mean we were always called by different duos names Ant and Deck Tom and Jerry you know two Ronnies Little and Large Laurel and Ardy we were always we were always a duo you yeah. know we always came together and um, we used to laugh that have you ever seen Step Brothers yeah, yeah. The, the interview as a pair we'd always say we would have to interview as a pair if it ever came to it and uh, but yeah we were meant to be and we, we got on so well our families get on so well and um, yeah it was it was it was good times and you were saying before the camera started rolling, you say you've even think you've taken a bit of a year because you're a, a brummy lad. I am a brummy lad. This kind of I've took his slightly accent. northern tone because yeah. he's from a Yorkshire lad, is he? He's from Rotherham. Yeah, he was. He was. He, I think he was born in Blackpool when his dad worked at Blackpool, but then uh, when his dad moved to Sheffield Wednesday, he was born and raised in Sheffield. So he's 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 proper Yorkshire, and I think our room uh, at, at Bodymore, it was literally just a room with me and him in it and two beds and a, and a telly for the lads to watch Sky Sports News and just chatting all day because we were around each other 24-7 like all the time. It, I just ended up rubbing off on me, so I've got this strange <laughs> brummy Yorkshire thing going on and it's just, I get it all the time. Where are you from? <laughs> Even my sister, who's she still lives in Great Bar, and she's she gets it all the time from her friends. Where's your brother from? <laughs> Birmingham, what do you think? But uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's left his mark on me, the boy. <laughs> so to the to the un uninitiated, i.e. me, yeah. What does what's a day in the life of a master at a Premier League football club? Like? Uh, day in a life, we get there. Uh, you tend to get there about eight o'clock. Lads start filtering in about half eight, uh, nine. Um, we'll get there at eight. You'll probably have a bit of breakfast up in the canteen. There'll be uh, a medical team meeting about who needs, who maybe needs what that day, what we need to look out for, where we are in the week, whether we're recovering from uh, a game at the weekend or whether we're building up to the next game. If any of the lads have complained about something that either we need to see or whether we've noticed something that the physios or the doctor needs to see. And then just go uh, and then crack on as soon as the lads turn up. The lads, if they need us off their own back, they'll come in, they'll write their name on a board get an appointment time, turn up at their allotted time, hopefully. And <laughs> um, and then some lads we'd, we'd ask to see later on in the day if they were part of, say, their rehab. Yeah. And and just go from there. We, we were always bouncing in between each other in the, the physio room and the massage room about who needed what. So, And then we'd go home the minute the lads, the last lad had left the building, yeah. really. So we, we could be there un, until four or five or we could be gone quite early depending yeah. on the day and depending yeah. on if everyone needed to to get out um yeah and then uh, between us we would we, we started off we, we'd alternate reserve games as well so one of us might have to go and travel to yeah. Sunderland away with the resis uh under Kev Mack at the time it was and um then we'd deal with the 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 resi lads the next day as part of their recovery as well so yeah it'd be pretty full on and we'd obviously have to travel everywhere with the yeah. boys as well so we didn't spend a lot of time at home. 
So give us a. This is moving my brain pathetically. <laughs> Ignorance, but no, you're fine. You know, God of more limited experience <laughs> of massage would be. Yeah. I don't know the dim, the dim lights, the whale music, the, ca- the, the none candles. of that. I can't imagine uh, much of that going on in the in the basement of Body Moon. No, no, not <laughs> at all, not at all. There, there's a couple of lads that would like it quiet. They'd like their own little uh, private time, should I say, mainly just to fall asleep yeah. and just relax. Um, but lads would just come in just for a bit of banter, really. Like I say, we'd have a tele Sky Sports News or or a game would be on in the background, depending what day it is. There'd be I'd have a lad on my bed, Smudge would have a lad on his bed. They'd be chatting and bantering amongst yeah. themselves. We'd be joining in. A couple of lads might just come in and wait. And watch the watch the telly yeah. as well. It just it all depends. Like they'd always pop their head in and see who was in, and go, "Oh, I like him. I'll come and sit in there yeah. with him." And 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 we'd end up oh, the amount of times. It's just, it was a small room. The cave it's probably about the size of this. Yeah. But sometimes we'd end up with seven or eight lads squashed in, sitting on the floor, <laughs> sitting on a move, moving the computer off the desk and using the desk as a as a chair just to just to be part of this group really this group that we had in the cave it was yeah it was it was special who who came up with the idea of calling it the cave i think it, i think it was joint between me and smudge just because we were out of the way a little bit yeah. it's like come on let's get you in the cave and we'll just we'll just you know we'll have a chat the cave of truth <laughs> it sounds like a kind of exclusive little kind of club yeah, it was, yeah, we should have, we club. yeah we should have got cards to hand out to people i think you've described your role as not just kind of you know, being hands-on, but almost mm-hmm. but being like this kind of substitute counsellor or psychologist. Yeah. Is that what you kind of felt you kind of role morphed into a little bit as you went along? Yeah, uh, very much so, because we we would have... Uh, we, we, we You get three types of lads. You get the lads that are playing that are happy. You get the lads that are injured and need a bit of a pick-me-up. Yeah. And, and then you get the lads that aren't in the squad that yeah. aren't happy and they want to vent their feelings, really. And, and, and you would just listen to lads, because a lot of the time, lads just need to get stuff off the chair chest you know i know there's a, a huge thing about uh, men's mental health and, and asking you know don't be afraid to talk but in in our room in our cave no one was afraid to talk yeah. we, we we'd listen to the lads and we give them our honest opinion and they always felt better afterwards i think it was just, it was just nice to talk to people and and we always reminded them that it could be worse yeah. it, they could be a mess of <laughs> do you think do you think sometimes that because these the Premier League footballers are, you know, turn up in flash sports cars, yeah. and all the disposable income you could want. Do you think sometimes, like society, things, you know, what are they, <laughs> what are they moaning about, and what are they worried, oh, very worried much about? So. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people will see that saying, "How could you be depressed? You're on fifty grand a week." But it's it comes with different pressures, yeah. and I think if you were in that situation. And um, you could feel the same. You could be just going through a bad period. You're not playing well. Maybe the fans are on you a little bit. And um, it it can get to you. You're human at the end of the day. So lads would need an arm around the shoulder sometimes, just a little pick-me-up, a little chat. And they always... They always left our room knowing that they they felt loved by us and that we were there for them and they could trust us not to go and spread rumours yeah. oh, you never guess about so and so we would never do anything like that they knew that what they said to us would stay with us and it's how you build up a trust and then over time you get more lads coming through yeah. sometimes you get the lads that would never talk to you yeah. or kept themselves to themselves yeah. but 
Eventually, we we all got them. Yeah. We got them dragged in. Just asking you a serious question about um, the pressure of professional football. In listen to one of your dog. Which one, is that one Millie or is that one? No, that's Daisy. That's Daisy. Yeah. You were telling me was it Daisy who you managed to inherit from uh, Chris Hurd? Chris Hurd. Yeah. He was he was away. I think he was in Australia playing football, and his his family was still over here. And his wife at the time um, had just had their second and she was struggling to juggle the two kids yeah. and, and Daisy's a handful. And our, our boy, our old stuffy Chuck, he uh, he was he was getting on a bit and we thought, well, if we get him a little friend, he might we might get a, f- a few more months out yeah. of him. And she came along and just took over basically <laughs> and, and, and she's been here ever since. I think her ears are burning there. I know she knows. That is Daisy who's snoring her head off, not not me. <laughs> Let's go back to 2007. Yeah. And you've arrived, and I'm just trying to think from memory. So Martin O'Neill's the manager of a strong personality in himself. Yes. And you've got people like Petrov, Carew's probably just 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 got there. Yep. You've got Gabby. What's what's it like, kind of like a, a lad, a lad from from Great Bar, kind of yeah. mixing with these Premier League superstars? It was it, it was um, for me it was okay because, like I say, my first season at Wolves, I had all these big names like Paul Lynch, Dennis yeah. Irwin, you know, people that had played the game and and won a lot of things yeah. and played at, at big clubs, Liverpool, yeah. Inter Milan, Man United. And so I wasn't, I wasn't really overawed by, by names as such. Um, and it helped that I think Curtis Davis had just joined and I knew Kurt from West Brom. And so as soon as I walked in and saw Kurt, he was, oh, bloody hell, you're following me. And I went, you know, I'm really sorry. But it, so it was, it was nice to see a friendly yeah. face there already. Uh, and then Nigel Riacoke was actually the first lad to come and introduce himself to me. Cause when I, when I went in, it was, it was October international break. So there wasn't a lot of lads yeah. there. So I kind of snuck in under yeah. the radar really and didn't. There was only really the young lads there, like Kev Max Group that time, and obviously the lads that uh, didn't go to internationals. So it was, yeah, it was. It, it seemed it seemed weird to kind of be at a local club because living in Great Bar, just off the Warsaw Road, you can see Villa Park yeah. from the top of the hill. So even though I wasn't, I didn't grow up a Villa fan. Seeing that, then you know what it means to the yeah. city, you know. And you used to go to like Euro '96 games, and you always wanted to play down there. And school, school football finals were played yeah. there. We used to play the semis at Bodymore, and being at clubs growing up, you know, you you always had that kind yeah. of association. And so, yeah, to being at that massive club and seeing you seeing that badge and seeing the 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 lads that were there and. It was just a great place to be. It was yeah. you've come from a step where, less than a year ago, I was at Macclesfield Town, who were bottom yeah. of the football league, and we were trying to stay in the football yeah. league. To then go into MK Dons for a little bit, who were at the other end of League Two, who had the better players and yeah. the money, to then go and bang straight back into into the Premier League and and looking for Europe and maybe going on cup runs and things like that. It was it was a massive step up for me personally and professionally but it was it was where I felt it was the right time for me to be there so what was your relationship with Martin O'Neill like because we've I've seen him from a press point yeah. of view and he, he can and we, we've, we've had him on the podcast in recent months and he can be a brilliant <laughs> storyteller 
but you know, get the wrong side of him, and, and then you you could kind of fear for your life. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is a bit of that that school teacher mentality. I think he was he was always great with us. He he appreciated everything you did for the club. He knew how hard you worked, and it, it goes back to me saying about just put putting an arm around the lads, and and he would come and do that to you if if we were in a very intense period of games, say over Christmas in January. He would come up to you uh, and put his arm around you and say, "Look, I just want to thank you for the job that yeah. you're doing. For you, you're keeping us going. Like, I really, really appreciate it. It means so much to me that you're working so hard for the lads. And then you'd you'd walk out flight floating on air. You'd be just like, "Oh my God, this is the best day ever." Even though you're physically exhausted. Yeah. Uh, and but he was always great. He was always great with us. He he would he would look after you. We we'd have quiz nights in hotels, which got really intense shall we say there were they just the competitive it was a competitiveness between coaches you know you had you had the gaffer martin who was who was one team coach and then robbo was the other team coach uh the other team like coach captain and um it it just got it, it got really intense those quiz nights and uh but he'd look after you he would you know, uh, at Christmas he'd get everyone at Bodymore together for for a dinner and some drinks at at uh, at the Belfry. He'd take he'd take you golfing. He'd, he'd pay for everyone to go golfing with him. He'd go right, lads, you've worked so hard. Come on, we're going for a golf day. And he'd he'd always look after you. And that's a man management skill yeah. that I think is kind of missing maybe in modern football yeah. at the minute, just because it was if 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 you work hard for a manager and they recognise it. And they look after you. You're yeah. going to keep on working hard yeah. for them. And he, he was he was brilliant. You knew not to cross him. Yeah. And the lads knew not to cross him because the attitude was that if if you win on Saturday, we'll do it your way. But if you don't win, we'll do it my way. And the lads never wanted to do it the gaffer's way. So he was he he got the best out of them. And everyone everyone loved that that time, especially around the club. It was everyone was pulling the same way, and it was all because of how he how he brought everyone together and he he trusted you and even though we were quite young uh me and smudge he trusted you to be an adult yeah he let you go and be an adult yeah. that's not necessarily been the case with with uh, other managers i've worked with uh, not just at villa but at other clubs but he 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 trusted you and, th- and that trust goes a long long way yeah. you're just mentioning the kind of quizzes and stuff like that it's just mm. got me thinking did you and the other backroom staff ever have to do the, the old initiation, you know, with the getting the karaoke song and stuff? Yeah, and the singing, yeah. <laughs> we had to do that. We had to do that in uh, my first year. I'd only been there a few months, but we went to Marbella for a winter break. <laughs> and um, it must it was must have been February or March. I can't remember what it was. But all the because all the January signings were there, and um, we were up in the the hills somewhere out just outside Marbella, and the lads were training first thing in the morning because of the heat, and then they were allowed to go and play golf. Like the staff would go and play golf. It was just a bit of a, a wind down. Come on, lads! And then the last evening, I think we all went out to a restaurant, and we all had this this giant table in this one room. And we knew what was coming. We knew it was coming because Gareth GB, um, he 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 was winding everyone up, saying, "Yeah, everyone knew's got to do it." And we're like, "What am I going to sing here?" And then, yeah, so we had to do it in the middle of this restaurant. And there was there was a couple of I think there was a Hindu there. There was a couple of locals that were there that didn't know what was going on because all of a sudden there's like 
40 lads that are having to sing in front of each other and, and it was just crazy if you really want to know what I sang go on go on I, I, I sang I'm a little teapot <laughs> I had no I had nothing else in my brain apart from I'm a little teapot let's get on the table and do it and all that yeah man. yeah yeah stand in the chair in the middle of this restaurant and Smudger went before me and he was really good he did Firestarter from the Prodigy and he was throwing himself about and his hair was everywhere and I was like I don't know how to follow that so I thought, I'm just going to be an idiot I'm just going to be daft and I could tell by the gaffer's face he wasn't too happy, but I got a really good reaction from the lad, so he let me get away with it. <laughs> I think the worst one I saw was a guy called Andrew Stone who came in under under Di Matteo. I think he was his analysis guy, and he made this big fuss about the lad staying after dinner to hear his initiation right. song, and within three seconds he was getting booed off and <laughs> bread rolls were and napkins were being thrown at him. So it was. I think that's probably the worst one. I mean, it's basically an obvious question, but he's been part of that backroom team as close to being a professional footballer as you can be, really, in terms of the camaraderie and the and the vibe around the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because at the end of the day, you're working towards a win. Yeah. You're working towards that three points on the Saturday. Yeah. You have to do your part for the yeah. to get the lads ready. And, and when you win, it's a massive relief. You're like, yeah, I've worked hard yeah. this week. We've got the, you know, we've got the win. We, we've helped the lads we've done our bit to get the lads prepared for them to do their bits and then of course when you're losing you're in a, a bit of a bad yeah. run you, you've not changed your kind of work mentality and how yeah. you do things but then people start looking at other areas yeah. and people start digging out about oh, where are we going wrong or oh, maybe it's your fault yeah. and, but it's not really we're just in a bad run yeah. Um, so yeah so it is, it is you all, you're all pulling to that three points at the end of the uh, at the end of the week so without being able to run about and kick a ball and have the skills to yeah. do it, that's the closest, the next best thing. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of managers and a lot of ex-players are going to coaching because they need that. Yeah. That fix. Probably jump all over the place with these balls. That's right. Still in Petrov's in my mind at the moment because yeah. you you and Smudge, you did the bike, charity kind of bike ride, didn't you? Yeah, we did, yeah. What was it like without being too kind of doom and gloom about it because mm. I know it's had a positive outcome yeah. ultimately but what was it like at that time because it had been under McLeish wouldn't it and it, yeah, it had it been was, yeah. the Arsenal game away I think where I don't think Villa as a team played particularly well no, and, we and, and Stan Stan <clears throat> fell below his standards yeah kind of what, what just give us a flavour of, of, of what it was like and how, how everybody pulled together to deal with that yeah it was strange like you say we were playing Arsenal away and he was he was feeling a little bit rough leading up to the game but being being the professional that he is he's like I'm not letting the lads down I'm you know I've got the armband and I need to I need to go out and do it and then at half time I remember him changing his full kit but just going I, I just don't feel I can go out there but some of the lads were like look we need you and he would never let the lads down he'd never let the club down so he went out and finished the game and then he, for the rest of the week then he was kind of coming in and doing bits and bobs and recovering and then I think he found out the day before I think we we played Chelsea at home the week after and he, he found out like the day before the game and it just hit everyone and we were just it, it's sad when you hear about someone becoming ill anyway, but when someone's so close to you and, and he's the captain of the football club, but he's also a friend as well. You know, he was there the same time as us from, from day one. And again, he was always good to us. We always worked hard for him. We'd go around his house. I'd go around his house and work with him. Uh, if he didn't have time during the day at the training ground, you get to know his family, you get to know his kids and you're just heartbroken for him, but also his family. 
but he he was always he always had this like positive mindset on things and he came in to watch that Chelsea game and despite going through everything he he was he was quite positive he was bubbly around the lads he didn't all the weirdos you know Stan and he was like ah, come on we're alright you know, we've got a game we've got to go out and we've got to I think we were 2-0 down quite quick but then we pulled it back to 2 each and I think we ended up getting done 4-2 yeah. but it, just having him there for that game and just seeing his positive outlook on it that he's like look I'm going to beat all this and uh, you need to not think not worry about me not think about me yeah. we need to go and think about the club and, and go and get results and because we weren't doing well that season anyway we needed to we needed to obviously pull our finger out a little bit and start winning games um, but it was actually during that game where me and Smudge came up with the idea for, for the, the cycle that we did for him because we were like well what can we do just to give him something to think yeah. about maybe raise a few quid for charity and and then it was the usual oh, maybe we should do a run and then I'm like this doesn't run <laughs> um, so then we were like well what about a bike ride and I said yeah a bike ride would be quite good where can we do it from oh well, should we do the whole Landed to John O'Groats thing oh, that's a bit far I don't think we'll get the days off <laughs> and then we go well why don't we link the two clubs why don't we link Celtic and yeah. Villa because Celtic will be all over it yeah. Villa will be all over it the fans of both clubs are fantastic yeah. they support Stan you can see the outpouring and love and emotion for him anyway why don't we just do that and then it slowly escalated from there. We got Lorna, who was the player liaison at the time, who was just incredible, and she thought it was fantastic. Um, we we got the permission from the club. Um, we got in contact with uh, the charity that Jeff Thomas was associated with at the time. They jumped on board. They were all over it. And it went from there. And I, I think it was good to just give Stan something silly like that to, to focus on because we he was seeing the training videos of me struggling to trying to get up a hill and, and, you know, and things like that. And he, he just loved seeing the messages. He loved yeah. seeing the money coming in that, the, the we were, we were raising, especially seeing all the donations from the lads and around the world of football as well. There was lots of lads that we, we didn't know from other clubs. Um, we hadn't met JT at that time, but JT yeah. had donated for the rest of that season. We were seeing things like we were seeing our, our, our advert in say Tottenham's program, we yeah. go Tottenham away and it was in there and yeah. lad and you would see the you'd see the money going up during the game and, and you know the the clapping at nineteen minutes. It was it was quite it was amazing to see the whole world of football um come together for him to let yeah. let him know that everyone was thinking of him. But for that to come out of a conversation that during the game like we should go and do something yeah. for him because we, we love him and you know, we do love him. And we wanted him to know how much we loved him by doing something that he wouldn't necessarily see us ever do, yeah. do especially me being active. So, yeah. how much of a chat physical challenge was it? It was hard. It was. It wasn't. It, it, it was again. It was more mentally trying to get out on the bike and train yeah. after a full day. I mean, there'd be days where I lived at Quinton at the time, so I would cycle from Quinton to Bodymore, yeah. which is around about twenty miles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it was it was tough because you you do it, 
you feel great, go and do a full day at work, be knackered, realize your car's at home and you've got, <laughs> you've got to cycle home. So you just, it was, it was tough getting, but this, you knew you had to do it because I I it was. I slept on one of those um, I, massage beds, I, I think. I've gone that up. many a time in my career. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But it was, it was nothing compared to the, the, the fight that he was yeah. going through and so many other people going through. Cause I remember there was, there was one dad who got in touch with me, he was telling me about his boy who was going through the same thing. And it was, it was the thought of them fighting their illness that would keep you yeah. going especially when we were doing the cycle as well because there was days where you're just seeing this hill and you're just like oh god i can't get up that and then you have to get up it and you can smell the clutch in the van burning behind you because you're just not going <laughs> fast enough uh, but it was uh it, yeah it was, it was tough it was tough but the adrenaline that got you through it the messages got you through the um again seeing the money coming in uh online while you were out there um, was special and that kept you going as well. But it was tough, but we knew we, we had to do it. We had to get there for for him and, and for the for the charity really as well. So over, over the course of your time at Villa, and you might need to pick two or three names. I know Smudge would probably be your best mate, but yeah. of, the, of the playing staff or the backroom staff, who would have been your kind of like, friends for life, I suppose? Oh, friends for life. There's, there's, there's a few like staff-wise, um, obviously Smudger, um, when we first joined, there was a, another young lad there called Ryan, who who was kind of he was like a, an equipment manager, if you like. He would look after all the training stuff. He'd look after the swimming pool and the stuff in the gym. Again, he was at our age, so yeah. we naturally kind yeah. of stuck together. Um, so those guys, people like Derek, who who's now uh, he he was security match day security for a long time, but then moved over to Bodymore, yeah. and he now travels with the team. Player wise, obviously. Um, Stan um, just because we've known each other for what seems like forever yeah, yeah lads I've, I've been with at other clubs as well like Curtis Davis I've, I've worked at two clubs with um, and the, the young lads I mean the later lads that I worked with Neil Taylor I still talk to yeah. quite a lot I, I even drove Tails up to Middlesbrough yeah. while he when he joined Middlesbrough the other season for six months so Middlesbrough and back every day that was a that was an what experience but it was it was it was good for yeah well yeah true <laughs> god I think I'd still be cycling now for the first trip if I was, uh, and people like him James Chester uh, Glenn Whelan we we get on really really well with but it, you always run into lads no matter what and when you do they're kind of there yeah you know you go you get transported back yeah. to when you met them young lads that we obviously did a lot of time with for the reserve games people like you know kieran clark yeah. andy vyman you know those sorts of yeah. lads sharky mark albrighton um when as soon as you run into them your best friends again and, yeah. and you, you're back into that back into the cave almost he yeah. switched straight to that mentality of like how can I be an idiot while being professional at the same time did you guys ever go, kind of get pranked by the lads because we've had we've had Barry Bannon on I think he's talk, a bit lowbrow this but I think he's talking about how Jonathan Hogg once once, once dumped in <laughs> once sh- the football booth we've had people like Gabby talk, well I think Gabby was the, the ringleader gluing people's trainers to the, the lockers and stuff like that yeah. were you safe from that or kind of kind of we, we'd have the odd ones when the lads were bored pre-seasons there'd be a knock at your door you'd open the door and a bin full of water comes and you know goes everywhere and you're just you like, name names I honestly don't know who did that but I've got a feeling it might have been I've got a feeling it might be Lansbury 
because he he was a bit like that. But it could have been any of them. Yeah. It could have been any of them. I think the lads broke into my room. Uh, and when was it? I think it was uh, the pre, the last preseason and the Steve Bruce when we were in Portugal. I think on the last night while I was working, I didn't know until the next day they come in the room and cut all my kit up. <laughs> So all my sleeves and my legs were missing from my tracksuit. They never expected me to just walk in the in the airport like that. But I used I used the I used the training kit instead. So I think they were a bit disappointed. Um, things like that, and then sometimes you'd be working, and there'd be a little nozzle of a fire extinguisher coming through a door and getting you. But apart from that, I think we were relatively safe because I think some of the lads knew that we'd come back at them harder. <laughs> <laughs> and it would it would probably really escalate. So we we had a kind of a mutual understanding yeah. that if you don't come for me, I'm not coming yeah. for you. I mean, I don't don't I don't want you to tell bad stories or negative stories about mm-hmm. it. But what would have been your of those little mini eras? What would have been you at your kind of happiest? Do you know what? It's difficult. I think under obviously under Martin O'Neill was our best period because not only were we we were doing well we were getting to finals and and just missing out on winning finals but we were also doing european tours um we were winning every what yeah. seemed like every yeah. week we weren't we we, we God, i think we went for a period where we didn't lose an away game for yeah. like i don't know like a year or something and so probably that really because we we went into every single game even if you were playing Man U, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, you went into every game thinking we're going to get something here. Yeah. There was never once that you thought we oh, I think we'll get turned over. Yeah. So probably that really. And I know I know there's a lot of controversy from the fans for this, but 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 Brucey was similar in that yeah. respect. He was a, he was a great man management. He loved you for working hard for the yeah. boys. So those two times were probably my happiest because um, you felt part of it yeah. more so than maybe other times yeah. with, with so many changes. So in other managers, not naming names, but in other managers, you're fulfilling a function, but with yeah. with those kind of, I think it's fair to say, with those kind of old school managers, they value the... The team ethic uh, yeah. and everybody being involved. And because, I think it's because they got they got to know you a lot more. They were there a bit longer and they got they got to know you as a person and what you did for the club. Yeah. And we, we, we couldn't get our head around it one day because I think we seven or eight in years, me and Sorge, and we counted how many managers we've been through. Yeah. I think we were on like eleven, <laughs> including caretakers. And we were like, How can you build a relationship yeah. with managers are coming in, not knowing who any of us are? Yeah probably don't trust you because you've seen eight managers off already (laughs) and then they go as well and then another guy comes in so you were always on your toes a little bit you were always like you never knew where you stood but when we did have periods of stability under O'Neill under Brucey and then uh, Dean at the end it was um, you kind of knew where you were a little bit and and you could kind of just get on with doing doing your job yeah yeah Whereas as other times you were felt, right, if I'm not seeing it, I'm all right. And you, you kind of wanted to take a step back a little yeah. bit because you just didn't want to, I don't know, not not be in the way, but you didn't know where you stood with people. Yeah. So because they, they speak when you spoke. Yeah. The and, and a lot of, and not, not so much managers, but you get their coaches would come in and they wouldn't really take the time to get to know you either. Yeah. So you were just like, you didn't know where you were with them. Yeah. Um, Apart from Ray Wilkins, who was the nicest man in the world. Yeah. And he would just, again, like an old pro, come and sit in your room and have a chat and 
genuinely wanted to know about you yeah. and your family and your how long you'd been at the club and people you knew in the game and everything and it was fantastic uh, but yeah it was it was it was a difficult period because you never knew how you just didn't know how long a manager was going to be at yeah. that club for I, mean, I don't know whether these things still exist and if they do they probably do it in kind of private members clubs and, and <laughs> houses. but like the kind of parties and stuff like that was there any kind of were you were you part of that and the kind of like fancy dress at Christmas and all that kind of thing um with the lads yeah yeah on one or two occasions nothing um the lads would see you as part of their group yeah but then there's a fine line between staff and yeah. players and we were the bridge between the two almost <laughs> like I, I remember one conversation with a manager who wanted to know he's a little bit paranoid shall we say and he, he wanted to know where our loyalties were and I said well I'm loyal to the club because yeah but you, you you get on too well with the players and I'm like yeah but I have to Yeah, it's my job to get on with the players because yeah. if, if I don't get on with them they don't come and see me and if they don't come and see me then I can't do my job yeah. and so I need them to get on with yeah. me but you have to kind of be professional You yeah. we were sometimes we were seen as too much like being with the lads on the staff side of it and then some of the lads would think you were yeah. too much of a staff member so we were kind of always caught between the two but the lads saw majority of the time they saw us as one of them so they wanted us to go out with them at Christmas and yeah. things like that but then the staff, we were, as a group, the staff, we were just as bad and we'd have our own little fancy dress Christmas yeah. dues as well. So, yeah, they were always they were always around. Lads would take themselves out. Yeah. That's where Stan was so good when he was captain because he, he'd rent out uh, like a restaurant for all the lads and the yeah. wives to get together. He says, we need a bit of togetherness, yeah. let's go out and do it. And, um, and that's what was needed. But you don't really see that a lot. Yeah, in modern football, sadly, but it was always uh, it was always good to see that camaraderie. But yeah, we never we didn't get sucked in that many times. Yeah. Kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Um, I I think I asked you this before we started. You'd be comfortable talking about kind of when you got got COVID, yeah, which sure, would have yeah. been when around kind of would that have been twenty twenty about kind it of springtime or yeah, it was it was March twenty twenty. So it was it was the week of the Leicester game. Right. We got done four at Leicester. So that'd have been the last game before the, last the game lockdown. Before the lockdown, yeah. So we were due to play Chelsea on the Saturday and then games started getting called off on the Friday. Yeah. And it was kind of the Friday evening when I started to feel a little bit yeah. unwell. Was that at, so that was the Friday before the, the Chelsea game? The Chelsea game, game right, okay. and the, the Chelsea game hadn't been called hadn't even been called off so yet. Would you, was that due to be away or at yeah. home? I think it was at home. Was it? Yeah. So you 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 feel unwell that 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 day? Yeah, a little bit later on during the day, like not so much during the day, but a little later in the evening or the late afternoon, I started to feel not great, and um, my mom. We were at a funeral on the Wednesday and my mum started feeling ill on the Thursday. So then when I started feeling bad on the Friday, I'm like, I wonder if we all just picked something. Obviously, COVID was going around, yeah. so we didn't. We were hoping it wasn't that. Yeah. And then come Saturday morning, I was like, I think I'm going to need to go and stay with my mum. I just want to stay away from home. I don't yeah. want to be with yeah. around my, my family, you know, with, with a little one. I don't want them to be poorly. And my mum and dad are already ill, so I'm, I think I'll just go and stay with them. So that was on the Saturday. Come Monday night, I was in hospital with sepsis because I had like a 42 degree temperature yeah. and they treated me for sepsis and sent me home the next day. And then it, it just developed into like COVID pneumonia. And um, I went back into hospital on the Friday. So a week later after I started feeling ill and then was in there for 
10 or 12 days, I think. And obviously being March 2020, no one knew how to treat this thing yeah. yet. They didn't know how, how what to do. Um, they didn't know what drugs were going to work. They were just trying to treat symptoms really yeah. and, and hope for the best. And so yeah, it was it was it was touch and go, to put it politely. Yeah. <laughs> it was mad. It was mad. Kind of what early forties now, late late thirties. So I would have been yeah, I would have been thirty thirty eight. Yeah, thirty eight at the time. Yeah. And how is that to without being too morbid about it? How is that to deal as a kind of a, as a as a young dad with your family? Oh, and that, I think that was the biggest worry really because it was I can handle being ill and and dealing with it. I don't know whether it was... Be I still don't know to this day whether it's because they knew I'd worked for Villa because when you go into hospital the first time with COVID, they want to know exactly where you've been. They yeah. need to pinpoint things to try and find out. So I'm like, right, I work for Villa. We played Leicester. I think the day after the Leicester game, they came out and said, oh, we had two or three yeah. that have got it. So we were like, cheers. I was put in a private room away from everyone and it was yeah. either because I worked for Villa or because I was that bad, they didn't yeah. want anyone else seen someone yeah. so young yeah struggling so badly with it so i think it was a little bit of a mixture of the two but then when you're there and and you're just trying to recover and you can't and there's there's not a lot of hospital stuff around because they're ill um when you're hearing all the alarms of people basically just hitting the deck and dying um it's getting quite scary because my mom was on the same ward right so i went in on the same day as my mom she was on the main ward with everyone and her being a nurse, she knew the ins and outs and yeah. she's trying to pull the young nurses to one side and say, look, you're okay, keep going, keep going. Yeah. So she had that nurse mentality and I'm trying to text me and I'm saying, is anyone around because, you know, I need this, that or the yeah. other. And um, it, it was weird and the most scary thought was the longer I was in hospital, the more I was missing at home the more the little one starts asking questions, yeah. where's dad? And, and you, I'm just trying to lie to her and say, I'm away with work. Yeah. And that's all it was. I'm away with work. Yeah. I'm away with work and hoping that we got better and, and could come home. But it was, it was scary, especially the one night when, when the, the, the surgeon came in, um, not the surgeon, the, like the specialist. Yeah. They, and, and she came in and said, look, we, we're worried about you. Um, we think we, we might have to take over your breathing. So basically we're going to put you in a coma and, and do your breathing for you and, until you hopefully get better. And that was the time where I thought, that's it. You know, and he was like, oh, f and so it's like, I text my dad said, because he, he, I don't know how, shook it off after three days. I'm like, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, he's 72 now. And I was just like, got rid of it like like that. And it was like, Dad, like, you know, I need you to do this, 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 and this for me. You're almost planning your farewells. Yeah, you? I was. Like, it was text, text, text home. This is happening. Don't know what's going to happen. You know, yeah, saying your goodbyes almost. Yeah. And then they brought my mom in to like come and see me because yeah. as soon as my mom found out oh he's going into a coma yeah. she knows the risks yeah. she's gone oh no and she came in she looked grey and she she looked like that John Major puppet from Spitting Image oh, that kind of grey yeah. A because she was ill but B because she knew the script and so she almost came in trying to put a brave face on it to say her goodbyes almost and it was mad to think that this was this could this could be it 
Um, but I felt that ill and that bad that I thought I'd actually I'd actually take it now. Like it's probably easy. it sounds <laughs> morbid and horrible, but I, death would probably be easier. The easier oh. option. Yeah, yeah, it was that bad. He was just like, just for a bit of a break, I'll take it. <laughs> so it was. It sounds bad, but it was true. Um, so yeah, and then I don't know how or what, but the, the 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 specialist she said to me, she went, "Look, there's a bit of a queue." Being Sandwell Hospital, it's not the biggest hospital. Yeah. They haven't got a lot of equipment. She says there's a bit of a queue. There's about four people ahead of you yeah. to go up to intensive care. Uh, to be put in this coma so until we have enough equipment or morbidly until people die we can't use any of that equipment so we we know what we want to do with you but we don't know how to how to do it yet so they pumped me full of whatever drugs they gave me and it was fantastic (laughs) and um i remember just having the weirdest fever dream during that night i remember passing out at one point i remember being slapped around the face by one of the nurses to bring me round. And I couldn't do anything about it because it was I was so weak and so ill. Yeah. But it was it was it was it was a real wake up for me. And then yeah, so I was having these weird fever dreams throughout the night from from whatever they injected me with. Woke up the next morning. The 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 specialist has come in and I've gone. So when are we when are we going down? And I thought right, this is going to be my last day. Like <laughs> when are we going on a coma? And she went, oh well, you picked up overnight. Like your sat's changed a little bit. Your oxygen's come up and and. And your and your heart rate's kind of settled, so we we think we think you're going to be all right. We think we're just going to leave you here for a bit. And I went, all right. <laughs> so so I went, oh, that's all right. So straight away, phoned home straight away, and I was like, they think I'm going to be okay. So, and little little did I know, everyone back at home they cleared was, out all your room here. You know, I, I know, I know. She was she was dancing for joy. She was she needed the space. Um, little did I know that night that everyone spent the whole night on the phone to each other. My sister was phoning my aunt and my cousins saying, think that's it. Think he's going, um, making sure everyone was okay. Like putting plans in place to look after the little and in case people had to rush over and whatever. And then there's me the next morning going, Oh yeah, yeah. They say I'm all right now. So sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. Alarm. Yeah. It's, it's all right. We're okay. We shook it off. Um, yeah. And then it was just, it was the next few days of just recovering and trying to the the magic the magic number for your oxygen levels is ninety four percent, and I was at like eighty six. Right. So they just saying we just need to see a ninety four. As soon as we see a ninety four, you can go home. Yeah. So, I'd, and that's when I, I was able to start functioning. I'd not showered for weeks, yeah. and I was like, I was stinking. <laughs> and I remember as soon as she said, as soon as she said, you're not going into a coma. We think you're going to be okay. I said, Look, well, can I have a shower then? Yeah. They brought in a mobile oxygen tank, and I. I don't know how, but I walked five yards to where the shower room was and that took all the breath out of me. I've got this wires coming here and everywhere. I got oxygen pumping into me. It was, it was the best shower ever. And it was just things like that made you kind of feel human yeah. again almost and feel, feel a little bit alive. And, and then just started watching documentaries on, on my phone trying to recover. And, yeah. and then eventually we, we got there and me and my mum both went in on the same day and both came out on the same day. So we were a nice little happy ending oh. on that one. Brilliant, and I think he, I, th- I think I'm right in saying, was it your sister who was putting some kind of updates yeah. on social media, yeah. which prompted another example of the football family pulling together yeah. a, lot of, a lot of love for you. Oh, that must have been, it was, must it been was, well received. It was, it was mad. Like again, it was that next morning because I turned my phone off. I've given it to my mom. 
I says, look after that just in case. And then, so when I got that back the next day and turned it on, I'm seeing hundreds of, th- like hundreds and hundreds of Twitter messages and yeah. mentions. I'm trying to read through it all, but I'm still kind of spaced. But just to, to then see it, and then obviously it got picked up with a Birmingham Mail, yeah. put it in, and loads of other people see it. I've gotten people that I hadn't spoken to since school reaching out and sending you know positive thoughts and everything so again yeah it was it was great to see that football community kind of come out and reach out because they don't know me personally i could be a well i am an idiot but i could be a really (laughs) terrible human being but they they were being so nice to me and it was it was nice and and that's the good side of football that's when it brings everyone together like that so yeah it was nice to see so many so many messages and and it does it, it 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 Going back to when Stan was ill, seeing those messages gives you a bit of a lift. Yeah. So well, obviously, I know it was it was pretty serious, what I had, but he he went through it for a lot longer than than I did with his illness. But it's to get those messages yeah. and to and to know that people think about you means a lot to you in those circumstances, especially when you don't know if you're going home or not. Yeah. Didn't some of the lads rally round as well? Did James Chester like send food parcels and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So he. Month he knew I was back. Smudger, bless his heart, he set up a WhatsApp group with lads at the club, lads that had left the club. Yeah. Our our group of of friends, our the ones that we love yeah. and, and talk to the most. He set up a group just to let lads yeah. know it's like the cave posse, the cave group. Yeah, <laughs> like to let everyone know what the latest situation yeah. was. So when I finally got home. Uh, a couple of days later, Chesie texts me, says, what's your address, pal? And um, because the guy that lived in the, the apartment above him in Birmingham is the chef at Carter's in Mosley. Oh, right, lovely. And he said, to keep their business going, they're doing food packages. Yeah. So, like, send me your address. And then these three boxes turned up, like, the next day. I think the chef actually delivered it himself. I seen a car and knocking on the door. I got a message saying make sure you pick that up quick because there's stuff that needs to be in the fridge and there was steaks and there was this, there was that, there was milk, there was eggs, there was, and it was everything. And I'm all like, I don't know how I'm going to eat all that, <laughs> but I'll give it a really good go. And so I took some stuff to um, Muriel who lives next door. She lives cool. on her own. And obviously during a pandemic, she's not been able yeah. to see her family. So I'm like, look, I'm not contagious anymore, yeah. but here's a box of food, you know, and it's just things like that. You know, I, you want to you want to look after people, and he was good enough to look after me and send me stuff. Yeah. So you want to kind of share it out a little bit. It was nice of him. It was a nice touch. So where were you at, kind of physically, mo- emotionally, mentally, to to go back? Was it your decision? Did they say you've got to get back in because we've got loads of games? Or? No, it was it was kind of left in my court. Really, I think once I did go back, I realised that physically and mentally, I wasn't ready to go yeah. back, and I should never have gone back because it was it was a lot of it was a lot of hard work and I was still yeah. recovering. I was still exhausted. And obviously because of lockdowns, you have to spend a lot of time away. Yeah. You'd end up as like a little mini camp at say the Belfry before yeah. home games for two, three days to keep everyone in a bubble. Even traveling away from home, you'd have to be in a bubble. Yeah. You know, you couldn't mix with certain yeah. people. And even as a masser, it was difficult because Premier League rules stated that you were only allowed to be with lads for 15 minutes of contact yeah. at a time, which lads hated because they'd want to yeah. lie there for hours. Yeah. But you could only do 15 minutes and you're there with plastic and PPE <laughs> and gloves and masks. And it made everything very, very difficult. But yeah, physically and mentally, I wasn't ready to go. But I, I just thought that... I needed for myself 
to see these games out. Yeah. I needed to finish a season. Yeah. In my whole career, I've only ever missed one game. Yeah. And that was the birth of uh, my daughter. Oh, what game was it? You're it on? was it was a West Ham at home. I think I think I think we lost three one. You go. They've got their excuses ready as well. Yeah, exactly. They? I wasn't there. That's why we lost. So <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was one game in my whole career. I've done over eight hundred games. I thought I'm not missing the rest of this season we're bottom of the league we need yeah. all hands to the pump to try and not only save the club but to save people's jobs and careers yeah. and and we saw how bad it was when we lost the playoff final yeah. with people and and you know so we we finally got back we need to see it through um so for me to just see it through was great but I, looking back i probably never should have gone back just because of how i was but you must have got a sense of Fulfillment and achievement when that, that when Villa have gone and done it on the la, the last yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. Because in a way, it wasn't really expected because we we weren't we still weren't getting great results in those. Yeah. Apart from beating Arsenal at home, that was yeah. probably the first time where you thought oh, we, we could do yeah. this. But other other clubs were losing and weren't doing well, and we were always within it within touching distance yeah. of other clubs so we were just grinding away yeah. and grinding away we should have beat Everton away we ended yeah. up drawing but in the end it turned out as a good point yeah. and then to get a point at um, at West Ham and that being enough it, this kind of just a relief of everything you've yeah. been through over that season not doing well struggling Covid hits people are dying left right and centre people are ill Um and then coming through and, and surviving on that last day, it was yeah, it was it was a strange old kind of feeling, really. Yeah. I mean, I know people never say you should celebrate staying yeah. up from a relegation, but when everything's gone on that went on, yeah, and it was it, it, it was it's a celebration. It was pretty unlikely it's, given what where Villa were before the lockdown, to, yeah. To, that term, yeah, right? and you and you never know. You don't know how had it's all ifs and buts, but you don't know where we would have been had that break not had yeah. come when it come. Because other we, I think we probably responded better than other clubs. Yeah, did to that break and, and then coming back into it. So yeah, I'm 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 glad it worked out for 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 the boys. I'm glad it worked out for people at the club and the fans, especially just to to kind of stay where they belong really yeah. you know it would have it would have been terrible to go back down the championship yeah. again although the away days were good for the yeah. fans you know taking 6,000 everywhere <laughs> 46 games is too much and then those three games at the end just yeah. to, just to even wind you up even more it's it's too much and what the the club deserves the Premier League and and um, I'm, I'm glad they're there can I just ask you about the the De- Dean Smith as a fella and that kind of ten game, ten ten game kind of mm. spurt towards the playoffs. What yeah. was it like to be on the inside of that? It was almost unheard of. It was it was really strange because I think yeah, we were we were, again we were miles off the playoffs at one point. We were missing Jack for a lot of that season. We just needed galvanising a little bit, and then once we got into a a, a you know a run. You could see every, again. You see everyone pulling together. We're going about pulling together with Under O'Neill and everyone. But it was it was it was really surreal. But again, it went back to Under O'Neill when I said that we would. We always felt we would never lose a game. As soon as Jacko's first game back and we beat Derby, yeah. we're four up at half time. From then on, we never felt we could lose yeah. a game. 
the the and the I knew it the exact moment I knew we were getting promoted was Rotherham away because we'd just beaten Chef Wednesday on the Saturday. We were one nil down and then down to ten men. Yeah, Torah means got sent off in the midweek. Yeah. The gaffers made a sub. He brought Codge on, and I've never seen Codge like that. Codge was kind of he was like a man possessed that second half. Everything came out of him, and we absolutely battered them second half. Scored two quick goals, and that's when I knew. I thought if we because one nil down half time with ten men, you're just like we can't lose our run at Rotherham. Yeah. We've been on this great run. We've yeah. beaten really good teams. How? No disrespect to Rotherham, but you can't. We can't lose this game. And then as soon as we battered them second half, and we, straight after the game, we've gone. We're going up here. No one's going to beat us. Yeah. No one's going to beat us. We we just knew. We just knew we were going to do it, and we went into every game knowing that no one can touch us yeah. now. Jack away yeah. at Blues. Oh. What's it like on in? Actually, are you in the dugout? No, no, I'm in, I'm in with the Villa. Uh, normally, for away games, we're behind the dugout. Yeah. Like clubs put um, put a couple of rows by the dugout yeah. for away staff. Yeah, which can cause its own little troubles. But uh, Blues, um, the dugouts aren't great, and they're the 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 fans aren't as welcoming. <laughs> To us, <laughs> as Villa staff, as other Very nice clubs, people. yeah, I'm just trying to be polite. <laughs> and um, so, whenever we play Blues, we'd go and sit with the Villa fans because sometimes we'd see the same stewards for Villa Blue, yeah, like they bring yeah. Villa stewards, in and we we go up to whoever, and we go, look, listen, that front row, which is usually reserved for like um, the people that are with the disabled fans, yeah. um, if no one's using them, can we use them? We've yeah. got four or five members of staff yeah. and two players that aren't in the squad yeah. yeah no problem so we'd always go in with the fans and it was, it was brilliant we, you can just see us in the corner <laughs> when Gabby scored the winner with the header in the last minute back in the day and then Jacko's goal as well you can see when Jack jumps in there's like me Ollie Stevenson Smudge Tommy Elphick's there young Jacob Ramsey's in there as well <laughs> there's just bodies everywhere you see fans flying down the stairs but Fans were picking up on that, saying, "Oh, look at the lads in in with the fans and 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 stuff." Things like that meant a lot. You know, means a lot to the yeah. fans as well. Seeing yeah, staff and players, we're all part of, part of, of it. Yeah. yeah, we were in that run as well, and we were going through a really really good time. And everyone was so buoyant. Yeah. You know, you knew we you knew we would do. You know, we were we were doing well. Yeah. We were going to achieve something with that season and that group. It's always good to beat the Blues at St Andrews <laughs> as well, isn't it? <laughs> I've only ever lost once there with Villa, and that was the cup game under oh, Julio when they went and won it. Yeah, in that that season. Yeah, that was the only time I'd ever lost there. That because was, a was that a cult? I remember I was reporting on it that night. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that like, Gabby was getting pelted with snowballs by the Blues. Yeah, it was. It, it would have been like a. It was like a quarter final. I yeah. think it was. So it was mid December yeah. or somewhere, and and. Yeah, as soon as the final whistle went, they won. They've all swarmed the pitch, yeah. and you've got chairs and flares going in between the lots of the fans yeah. and everything. And that was a little bit. It was a bit. I mean, it's a bit of a throwback to the old school days, but it was too much because then we see our fans are in the tunnel getting stitched up. Yeah, it's it 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 was, a bit too it was much. Very and, moody. That, yeah, but that, that night. I'll let them have that one because we beat them about fifty-eight <laughs> other times. With Jack one though, when I mean, because obviously the. The fella comes and punches him mm. at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, are you seeing that? Are you aware of what's gone on there? Yeah, we've seen it because we've seen that we've just seen this figure 
run up and then we've seen Jack on the floor and, and I think Ollie, the fitness coach, was the first one to see because Ollie played with Jack in the yeah, youth team remember, and they're yeah, like yeah. really good mates. He's going, oh, he's, he's going, to Jack, that guy, is, is it Jack? And then you just see all the lads swarming. But then you see Jack get up and you think, <laughs> it's a bit of a red rag to a bull there because he's just going to laugh it off. He don't yeah. care. He's not hurt. Our main concern was, right, is he hurt? Yeah. No, he's not. Brilliant. He's going to score the winner today. Yeah. You just, you just, you just knew, didn't you? You just knew he was going to do it. In terms of Jack and Villa, again, as Villa fans, we very parochial about it. Mm. But seeing Dean Smith and, and Jack Grealish as the manager and mm-hmm. captain, yeah, get us back to where where we belong. Yeah, just and I'm conscious that I've taken up a lot of this time, but just in terms of that final then because yeah. well, we'd had the dif- disappointment of Fulham oh, the previous year yeah. and then we go to Derby and was Derby a game where you thought we've, we've got this one as well because Villa are in that such a rich, rich fan of form personally I've never been so affected by a loss as the Fulham game because it was like the club was struggling we didn't know what Dr T was doing yeah. you know and we knew lads were going to leave left right and centre yeah. we thought right well JT is probably going to hang them up we might lose Chesley, we might lose so-and-so, we might lose who, where's the goals going? We haven't got no money to bring in. Are we going to have jobs? Yeah. We didn't know. And like after that game, I was, I was terrible for ages. But it took me a year to get over it until we won the Derby game yeah. to get over it because it was like, this should have happened the year yeah. before. But we the, going into the Derby game, we'd already beaten them twice that season. We felt like we had their number. But a final being a final, you just yeah. never know. But there was something about the morning of that game where we all met for pre-match and absolutely every single person has gone round each other. We've all high-fived. We've all had a hug. And there was just this feeling that you knew you were going to win. It's hard to describe because sometimes you go in game, you can be a bit nervous at a final. You think, I don't know how it's going to go, but anything could happen. But that day... We all knew we were going to win. There was just, there was something in the air that we we knew. Maybe because we'd beaten them twice already that season. So I remember the day after our second leg, there were a few of us got together and we were watching the the Leeds second leg, Leeds Derby. So we thought Leeds is going to be a really tough game. And then Derby kept scoring and we were like, we're playing Derby. (laughs) We knew then we thought, if we've got, if we get Derby, we're definitely going to win. I'm not saying we would we wouldn't definitely have been Leeds because I think we would have on the day, but knowing that we had Derby, that we were going into it far more positive, and, and we just knew. So it must have felt significant that you played your part in helping Villa, yeah, having experienced Villa like as a force in the Premier League under mm-hmm. under O'Neill, and <laughs> I'd circle the plug hole, get relegated. Uh, yeah. Must be nice to know that you not only played your part in getting Villa back up to the Premier League, but keeping Villa in the Premier League. Yeah. When did you know that enough was enough? Was that your decision, Alex? Was- uh, no, I think it was a bit of a combination, really. I think I knew, I knew enough was enough for me when I during the break, during yeah. lockdown, and then having go to go back to yeah. it because being ill and recovering and not realizing how much i've missed at home yeah once i was then forced to be at home i realized what i was missing out on and a lot of people a lot of people don't understand that that you 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 are never at home you're always away you you leave the house at seven in the morning you it's dark when you leave it's dark when you get home 
you see your little one for five minutes in the morning and just as she's getting to bed in the evening. So my relationship with her got better for me being at home. And the longer I was at home and and enjoying that break and recovering, especially around the family, I was, I was like, I'm not sure it's me anymore. I've done nearly 20 years. I feel a bit burnt out a little bit. And I wanted to see that season through, like I said earlier. And, And once, once the last game had happened, um, I think there was like a text message or a phone call like two days later from the guy who's the who's the head of medical now and, and they just wanted to make changes. And although I was disappointed it happened the way it happened, especially after everything I'd been yeah. through a couple of months previously, I was I was also quite relieved because yeah. it meant I could be at home building that relationship and just trying to be a better dad yeah. with things. So um, I was sad to leave the way it happened because I wanted I wanted to... Uh, well, in a way, we did go out on a high because we stayed up. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to have been able to have been there to go and say bye to everyone yeah. and to see everyone one last time and yeah. rather than have to do it over the phone. And um, So that's the one thing I regret about leaving the way I did just by not just missing out and saying goodbye to some yeah. some really good people. The obvious thing would have been to set you set up a little kind of consultancy or something like that. It would, it to, would have been, yeah. To, <laughs> to, to, to use the skills you've honed over the last two decades. Yeah, you don't go for the obvious though, do you? Do you want to talk us through what what, what the career career no, path looks like now? Honestly, I think I, I I thought about doing just that. There's there's a, a salon just up the road, and I even went in and had a little word with them about setting up shop there and. And I was I was doing it. I was about to set up shop and work privately, but then the second lockdown came in right. into effect, and I thought, "There's no point trying to set up a business while all this is going yeah. on." And that second lockdown lasted about six months, yeah. and I thought, the longer I wasn't doing it, the more I was thinking, "Do I actually want to do this anymore?" Like, my wrists don't hurt. You know, I can open jars now. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not tired all the time, yeah. although the COVID was still kicking me a little bit with long COVID. And I just, I just didn't, I didn't miss it enough to want to go and do it. And then because I'd done private work before with normal people, it's not me anymore. And then I thought, well, what do I do now? So I applied to be a postman about 17 times yeah. and got turned down for that. I didn't realize you needed to be so qualified to put a letter through a letterbox, but apparently you do. And and it just escalated from there, really. And I always, growing up, I'd always, whenever I watched TV and films, I was always looking at the people in the background and going, oh, I wonder how you get that gig. Yeah. I'd love to be that guy with a beer in the background, just sat there. Like, I bet, I bet, you know, and you, and you start looking and watching, I wonder how I can do that. And I was watching extras, Ricky Gervais's extras for like the third time. <laughs> And I thought, oh, do you know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to have a look. So I started Googling about how you'd become an extra or an SA, as it's called now. And um, What's SA mean? That- a supporting artist. Oh, right, okay. That's a posh way of saying really extra, good. yeah. Very large Oh, very much so. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I just came across this, this website and this app where you could put yourself forward for certain jobs. Yeah. But then when, you, when I would do those jobs, other extras or SAs would, would say, oh, where did you get this job from? And then they'd tell you about yeah, agencies, open up, open up yeah. agencies. So I thought, well, I'm in Birmingham. It's still COVID times, 
but funnily enough, because you're in the entertainment industry, yeah. you're classed as a key worker. So you can just go out and be a key worker. Um, and you join other agencies. You're in Birmingham, which is the center of the universe, as everyone knows. Everywhere you can get to in an hour and 45. So I go, right, I'll join an agency in Manchester. I'll join an agency in Leeds. I've joined one in Bristol. There's one in London, a couple around the Midlands. Let's see what happens. And then you just get put forward for jobs. Like, we need a big hairy idiot. <laughs> what are you like for these four days? And I'm like, yeah, I'm free. Let's go. And and you and you travel and you meet some great people and you can sit around all day and get paid for it and maybe get used for thirty seconds. And I thought this is really really good, uh, but it's not consistent, yeah. you know, which is a shame. I think the my problem is because I'm so unique facially, <laughs> they once they've seen you they can't use you again. Right. Uh, people blend in a lot more than I do, yeah. so they they get more days than I do. So I'm like, oh, he's got three weeks, they're lucky. <laughs> and then I get two days or something, you know. So it, 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 it's been great. It's been great. But again, you know, looking how, the way I do, people look at you and then go, actually, could you do this for me? Could you say this? Or yeah. could you look a little bit intimidating yeah. on this? And then it's escalated yeah. to the point where um, I ended up getting a, a proper agent and then she ended up getting me loads of commercials and it's just kind of snowballed from there, really. So I've gone from being bored on the sofa trying to figure out how to be that guy in the background to getting big parts in commercials and and films. So it's 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 been a strange old roller coaster to be honest. Do you think that this new challenge that you've kind of launched yourself into, is that obviously it's helping you earn a living mm -hmm. but do you think that's replacing some of the kind of dressing room the, the camaraderie of the cave oh, uh, yeah it can do yeah most definitely because you 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 are put in a group that you have you don't know previously yeah. and you have to get to know and yeah. get on with yeah. and so yeah there is a lot of that camaraderie um which is very very similar i think the levels of banter are different <laughs> Because there's stuff you can say in football that you can't say in real life, yeah. but um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of togetherness um, in both worlds, and so it's nice to have that. It's nice to have that group mentality and that togetherness. Um, but then saying that, I, I don't necessarily miss football, yeah. which which is sad because football has been like my whole life. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't really watch it anymore yeah. either. I don't. I don't go to games like my cousins and my sister and my dad. They're all like, let's go Blackburn away. Come on, we've got tickets. We'll go and watch the Albion. I'm all like, I don't want to. I want to stay here. I'll watch, I'll watch Jeff and his boys on the Saturday. I'll watch the scores because it's fine. But I don't really watch it anymore. I think it's because when you've done nearly 20 years and you've seen enough. Yeah. Thank you for taking so long to speak, speak no, to us. Thanks for taking me on the old, you know, giving everyone a history lesson. It was it was nice. It was just all those memories are, are really, really nice to bring up every now and again. So thanks for having me. Nice, Grace. Nice, nice to know that you're on the billboards as well, rather than those, those, pampered, <laughs> super, those, those pampered super massage Premier League footballers. Isn't it nice to get a bit of the limelight? Yeah, so, I know. No, thank you. You've been watching Claret and Blue with me, Matt Kendrick, and our, our super guest, uh, Big Al and um, yeah coming soon to a screen near you I think by all accounts so thanks for your time Al you're welcome man thank cheers you mate me.